Open thou mine eyes, and I shall see. Incline my heart, and I shall desire. Order my steps, and I shall walk in the ways of thy commandments. Amen. How much do you allow yourself to gaze? We had dinner guests this week who have four children who reminded me of the fact that children are great gazers. The youngest child in the family is still a baby and whose gaze was simply captivating. Her face had that kind of brightness to it that infants have as if something on their interior is lighting them up. I think Monarch and I could have gazed at her all night long. Her elder sister was also a gazer. She liked to linger her eye contact for at least 30 seconds at a time, sitting next to me at the table as she ate a very unpredictable piece of corn. I've noticed that children seem to delight in staring at adults when they're eating something messy. (laughs) Butter running down the chin, juices smeared around the mouth and the face knowing that cleanup will have to wait until the last glorious mouthful is over. We all had the opportunity to gaze this week with the release of pictures from NASA's Webb Telescope. The images capture light from a staggering 13 billion years ago, about the time when our own sun and this planet were formed. One photograph shows a quintet of galaxies so close on the page that they almost seem to be doing some sort of cosmic circle dance in the ancient skies. Another shows a dying star expelling rings of gas. And the one I gazed at the longest, the Carina Nebula, a nursery of stars in our own Milky Way, looks like a mountain range, as if lost in space. I feel an immense gratitude for these pictures not only because they offer astrophysicists a window into the dawn of time hitherto unseen, but because they remind me of the deep gift we receive when we can learn how to gaze again. When we lived in San Diego, I used to spend long stretches of time with my eyes fixed upon the waves breaking onto the beach a few blocks from our home when the Himalayan mountain range was visible on a clear day where I lived in India, many, me among them, would stand and stare at the pristine sight of snow-capped peaks glimmering in the long afternoon light. And through the years of ordained ministry, I found myself lingering my gaze upon people at their bedside as they have neared their death especially if I have wondered if this would be the last time I would get to see them. I imagine you have had your own moments when you have wanted to stop and take in the sight of something truly precious to you. I share all of this for two main reasons. One is that gaze is an important and mostly overlooked element of our gospel story today, of Mary's encounter with Jesus. 
The other reason is that particular meeting of the eyes between Mary and Jesus offers to us something and how we might also learn how to look at the world. Most readings of the story of Jesus' visit to Mary and Martha's home focus on the contrast between the two women, Mary, serene and unencumbered by domestic tasks. Martha rushed off her feet. Having grown up with a single mother who had no choice but to be busy when guests came to visit, I've always bristled at some of the patriarchal implications of male biblical scholars chastening Martha for going around the house, chastising Martha for going around the house as if only Mary really wants to enjoy Jesus' company undistracted. Indeed, I've sometimes wondered what difference it would make if at least one of the Gospels that have been canonized in the Bible had been written by a woman. As things stand, through time, Martha has suffered the double expectation that so many women have been laden with, to be fully prepared and be fully present. Needless to say, I'd much rather focus our attention today not on what Martha is doing, but on why it is that Mary is staying put at Jesus' feet. What is it that Mary sees as she dwells there? What does it feel like to gaze at the one through whom, as Colossians claims, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible? As a devout Jew, Mary would never have made that theological leap, for Yahweh alone is the creator of life. Yet we might speculate that there was something of the nebulae as she sensed, that she sensed in his presence, something more than merely the eye can see. Knowing full well that she will not have an easy ride of things later when Jesus departs and her older sister lets her have it. My simple theory for why Mary stays put is that she has learned to gaze with what Ephesians calls the eyes of the heart. It's the lingering sight that lovers share. It's akin to the desire parents can feel seemingly unable to take their eyes off their newborn child. It is the sight loved ones hold in common at those heartbreaking final moments before departures for long journeys or times away, and yes, at the leaving of this world for the next. This is not the looking we are mostly preoccupied by, with eyes darting across lit screens or sinking down the endless scroll of our news feeds. Neither is it the looking that sees the other as an object of our power, of our desire, of our rage. This is not looking at all, but sight, vision, seeing at the depth of the divine gaze. And I believe Mary learned to see that way because she had first been seen by the one who gazes with grace and love at us all. For this is the heart of the good news today, that we proclaim a hope that we are indeed seen, that we are gazed at with a depth of longing and love that is beyond all powers of our knowing. That in Christ Jesus, because we are seen, we come to see things with wonder at the goodness and glory of life around us.
As Augustine says of the Eucharist, behold who you are, become what you receive. We too can be people who become the gaze that we receive from God. This is a place in your life where you can learn to see. This is a place where you can learn to dwell with hope, as Mary learned to, where your vision for the world can grow undimmed by the chances and changes of events because you also have known what it is to behold the glory that fashioned the heavens and the earth and fashioned you. A lot of us have found these past two and a half years of this pandemic bewildering and disorienting at times. I know I have. There have been moments when it has felt like there are always more questions than answers. Yet within this seismic shift in our patterns of living has been the opportunity for each of us to ask what matters most in our lives? What is it that we most value? And how might we now wish to live, perhaps even long to live, given this new opening to cast a vision of our lives? The gift of church is that it offers us a community of saints and wannabe saints who don't want to look at how and who you are, but at our best, simply desire for you to see and be seen by the God of love and grace. This is the kind of freedom that helps us learn how to gaze again, recovering the natural instincts of our earliest years to wonder for the presence of the divine all around us, present to you right now, next to you on that pew. I invite you to learn to see this world with the eyes of your heart enlightened. Allow yourself the time to gaze. In the midst of your great busyness, stop more than once in a while and wander after the things of God. And in a world that makes its mind up so quickly about the character of other people, dwell with others longer and see the fuller person who will emerge before you. For living within us all is the hope of glory, the home where the maker of all that there is, seen and unseen, is glad to dwell. Learn to see the one who already sees all of you and says, you are beloved, you are mine.